This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you all back for another episode. Kind of a different show today. Um, Nothing probably will exemplify the range and diversity of topics on this show than the three segments I have planned for you today. The biggest, longest one will be Ben Gessling joins me from London. Vikings beat writer is over there already. We'll set up Sunday's game against uh, against New Orleans in London. So that'll be an interesting discussion. He's can give us some tips on getting acclimated over there and what's what he's seen already so far. And more importantly, what the Vikings should be looking for in this game. I will also share with you a conversation I had with Lindsey Vaughn, the a legendary skier from Minnesota. A sad topic. Her mother, Lindy, passed away last month of ALS. She was 70 years old. And I had a really nice chance to catch up, though, with Lindsay about the grieving process, about her mom, and the work that she is doing uh, to raise awareness for ALS. So I will play that for you at the end of the show as well. Right out of the jump, though, I want to bring you a topic that, you know, you might have seen on Sunday, this past Sunday, and in the history of the NFL, and as, as we remember the NFL, as we remember this play, it will probably only affectionately be referred to as the butt punt. If you saw it, you know what I mean. If you didn't, here is what happened. Miami punter Thomas Morstead backed up in his end zone in the fourth quarter. Dolphins clinging to a four-point lead, tries to boot the ball. It hits his own player, Trent Sherfield, right in the butt. Ball flies straight up in the air, out of the end zone for a safety. Dolphins manage to hang on to the win, now I'm 21 to 19. But everybody was kind of talking about that play all week. And so went out went out to Egan to Vikings headquarters on Wednesday for the typical media access period. I'm like, here's an opportunity to ask some Vikings players whether they saw that play, what they thought of it, everything like that. So, you know, whether you find amusement in it or not, whether you're like Dolphin special teams coach Danny Crossman, who I believe on Tuesday was asked if he finds any amusement in it, said absolutely zero amusement and 100% critical mistake that has an opportunity to possibly lose a game. It will never get a smile from me. Reactions from the Vikings, however, were slightly different and varied. So I want to uh, I want to play those for you. Play those interactions in chronological order, in order of the the three different Vikings players I talked to about that. Uh, first player up was second year Viking Cameron Bynum. Played 230 special teams snaps in 2021 as a rookie. He's played 14 more special teams snaps this season. He's played a lot more on defense, obviously, this year as a starting safety for the Vikings throughout the start of this season. But I wanted to ask him just like perspectives on that play, whether he had seen it, whether he found it funny or not. And I got maybe even more than I had bargained for when I talked to him. So let's roll my uh, my engagement with Cameron Bynum. The, the what they call the butt punt on Sunday, the punt that Miami kicked. I saw it. Yeah, I saw it all over Instagram. Is that like your, is on special teams? Is that like your worst nightmare? How, what do you what do you think about? That's what they say question? when you're backed up in the end zone. Do not back up because the punter is going to be right behind you, extra close. So that's one thing that uh, my coaches always stress. If you're 
you're anywhere close to the end zone, don't back up into the punter because that will happen. What did you think when you saw that play? Uh, it was just funny. I saw the pictures, all the memes. It was it was hilarious. It would have been funny to see it live, but but not not when it happens to you. I heard the, yeah, the Dolphin special teams coach is like, I did not find anything funny about this. Probably not because that's equal to a block punt. So <laughs> that's terrible. But I mean, if it's not our team, we can laugh about it, right? Yeah, and you you played like. 230 special team snaps last year. I mean, is there obviously when you're a rookie, that's like something you something you just do. Like, what about special teams? Like, people kind of overlook it, but how much how much did you value that time? Um, that's a big part of the game, obviously setting up the field for your offense or your defense. But physically being out there, those, those are the hardest snaps you'll get in the game. A lot of people don't think that, but think you're sitting if especially for me I wasn't getting playing time on defense last year so you would sit wait for it then you're out there for one play play and it's a long play it's like 15 to 20 seconds play whether from, from the punt to where he catches it to the return that's a long play and every play defense you could play a snap not going full speed as far as because you'll be backpedaling breaking um, that's not always going to be all max your max effort with special teams it's 100 percent no matter what you're doing every single person across the board so you know, it's, it's a grind it never occurred to me that those plays are just longer yeah way longer than kickoff you got to run down 40 yards run into somebody try and make a tackle at the same time and kick return then you got to run backwards and somebody's going to run into you full speed so it's it's a grind. No wonder those guys are so excited when they make a tackle, the play's over. Exactly. Like they finally get to take a rest. Exactly. So the faster you get it, get them down, the quicker you can get back to the sideline and rest. Okay, so after talking to Bynum, my wheels are turning. I'm excited. I'm like, okay, he saw it. He, he's someone who spoke to it well and also gave me some interesting perspectives on special teams, right? Like, I had never thought of special teams as the hardest snaps. I'd never thought about how long those plays are. So now I'm all fired up. I'm like, I got to go talk to more people. I got to go talk to more people. You miss... 100% of the shots that you don't take. You know, Michael Scott quoting Wayne Gretzky, but it is also true, however, in this case, that you miss 100% of the shots you take when asking about the butt punt to Vikings returner Jalen Rager. Have you ever seen a punter kick a punt off of another man's butt? Did you see the butt punt from the uh, Dolphins game? No, I didn't see it. You didn't, no. see it. you didn't see it at all? So what happened was Dolphins backed up their own end zone. Guy goes to punt it. His own teammate's too far back. Mm-hmm. Kicks right off his, kicks right into the team's butt. Goes right in the air for a safety. They don't got nothing to do with me. No, I know. I just was wondering if you ever seen something like that. No, I haven't. Okay, so probably never a good sign when you have to explain something, explain the joke to somebody beforehand. But you know, Rager is 100% honest. He's 100% right. I don't, I don't fault him for that answer. I just knew when you got to know when to get out. You got to know when to call for a fair catch and just get out of there. So I evacuate that situation. I find Brian Asamoah, my last guy that I want to talk to, um, special teamer for the Vikings this year. He's a rookie right now. He's played 48 special team snaps already this season. And so I kind of go in with the same line of questioning that I went into with Cameron Bynum, and I get a, a pretty good result, certainly better than I fared in Viking number two, Jalen Rager. So here is Brian Asamoah. Did you see the play on special teams last week, Miami Buffalo, where the punter punted the ball yeah, off the, the butt, guys? The, the butt punt. Mm-hmm. Is that, it's like special teams, is that like worst nightmare kind of play? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, especially punting from your, your own end zone, um, you know, trying to give out the best field position you know for your defense to go out there and go shut the offense down so when that happens it's kind of disappointing but you know things happen yeah you find ways to you know learn from it and and execute it the next time is that something you guys like even think about a drill on when you're doing punt Uh, cover stuff or punt not really um you don't think about that i suppose go out there try to you know execute our job you know whether it's well, if it's one, you're blocking one. If it's two, you're blocking two. And I guess as a punter, man, I'm just trying to get that 
yeah. get it off. When you saw that play, was it funny to you, or is it? Honestly, I just saw the um, highlight of it. And I was like, oh, this happened. So yeah, yeah. not too, not yeah. too worried about it. But no, uh, I was talking to Cam Bynum. He said something that's interesting to me. He played a lot of special teams last year. Just saying, those are the hardest snaps. Mm-hmm. In oh the yeah, game. definitely. Why is that? It's just a different, a different style. I mean, obviously, it's, it's not that it's not the X's and O's when you're just oh, I'm guarding, or we're in cover three, or in cover four for an offense, or running this comp, uh, what's it called, concept. I mean, it's, it's completely different um, from what we do. Yeah. And you know, it's it's guys on both sides of the ball working together. So you know, you got to build that chemistry and connection with the dude next to you, next to you in the job. Yeah. So. Except the plays are like longer too. I never even thought about that. Yeah, like those plays are long. Sometimes twenty, sometimes ten, eleven. Just gotta, just gotta execute it. And that's the main thing. So, so I think the big takeaway here is that if the butt punt happens to you, it is not funny. If it uh, is something you're worried about, it's still not funny. But if you're, you know, just kind of looking at it from a distance and you're maybe a little bit far removed from special teams now, uh, you can probably laugh at the butt punt, and it's okay to do that. But it's also okay to appreciate the job that these guys do on special teams and realize that it is harder than it looks. And the butt punt sometimes. Butt punch just going to happen. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I think this qualifies as the furthest distance between myself and a guest on Daily Delivery, Ben Gessling, Star Tribune Vikings writer, coming to you from London. He is there already. He has raced the Vikings and beat them by like a day. Um, And Ben, um, a big topic of conversation already, you know, even before the Vikings left was just kind of the, the impact of all this travel on, on your body, on your sleep and how this affects you for a game Sunday. How does it affect you right now, Ben? How are you feeling? Well, you know, I, I'm not probably trying to get over here and be in the peak physical condition to play an NFL football game. So the sports science that went into my travel is probably not quite as important, but you know, I'm hanging in there. It's uh it was interesting because Tyler Williams talked to us yesterday and that was like the right. last thing I did before I went to the airport. So I'm kind of thinking through some of these things of, well, here's the sports science the Vikings are using. What kinds of things should I be doing to get myself acclimated quickly? And we had a layover in Boston last night. And it was, we had like a five and a half hour flight from Boston to London, which I think was like an hour faster than it was supposed to be. Cause we ended up in the middle of a jet stream or something. We were hauling, we were doing like, 630 miles an hour, I think it said on the plane. And I'm thinking, I don't know that I've ever gone this fast on a plane. So it, it was good. We got there early, but it condensed the flight, which meant it, it condensed your sleeping time. So I got like four hours of sleep. I, I, I hit some caffeine this morning. My family's here with me. They kind of did the same. And uh, we all snuck in a little bit of a nap, but enough to, enough to function, but not enough to get completely thrown off. And we'll be up for another pipe three four hours until it gets dark and then say okay fine we we stayed up till it's dark we can go to sleep and we'll uh we'll be ready to i'll feel i think i'll feel better tomorrow london never has felt that bad jet lag wise so i i think i'll be by the time the vikings have something to report on i should be fine 
nothing a dad likes more than making good time. Um, but yeah. <laughs> you're right. They did put a lot of thought into, into this whole, the, the whole sleep science of it. And new Orleans did it differently, but new Orleans also has a buy coming off of this game. So they can probably a lot of what they did, Ben, right. The Vikings is not just with this game in mind, but also with week five against the bears in mind. Like they don't want to like come back and then have to completely readjust again and kind of like mess up their bodies for two games. Yeah, and they, they kind of made that choice. I mean, the NFL has typically told London teams, you can take your bye right. I think it used to be that they give them the choice of right before or right after the game. Right before is probably not really an option when it's this early and it seasons a week longer. Right after was an option. Obviously, the Saints did it. But the Vikings said, we don't want the bye that early in an 18-week season. So we are going to say, they basically asked the NFL, can you put us at home? After we play in London, the NFL said yes to that. So they decided we're going to go try to, to just make this as quick as possible and then play at home the following Sunday and we'll take our bye a couple of weeks later. So it is a different way of approaching it. I think the Saints probably too, as the home team, have a little bit more of a marketing responsibility. The Vikings, the first time they played over here in 2013, were the home team. So they spent the better part of the week doing – events in the community trying to get people excited about it back then this is 2013 it was new um leslie frazier i think was probably more willing to embrace the experience of this is kind of a second training camp that the team bonding stuff i think was was something he believed in at least saw as a, as a benefit to it quite a bit and we're quite a bit further into this now i mean I, the nfl said this week this is the hundredth game being played overseas in league history and these things aren't going to go away. So no. now it becomes, let's try to make this as small of an inconvenience as possible. On the field, um, this is an interesting game in, in a number of regards. Obviously, we know what happened against Detroit. They kind of pulled that game out, pulled their, you know, pulled out uh, that, that win to go to two and one. And, you know, it, it, wins i think as as we talked about on access vikings earlier this week like wins have a way of kind of papering over problems sometimes but i don't think the vikings would harbor any illusions that they are anywhere near a finished product right now especially i mean i think on both sides of the ball but especially defensively it just seems like they are still kind of a learning systems learning how how to play these kind of zone defenses how to how to play the 3-4 and you know it's interesting how you know, Patrick Peterson after that Eagles game and now Eric Kendricks after the Lions game have both, you know, not necessarily taken shots at the scheme, but kind of said they might prefer to do things a little bit more aggressively. You know, Peterson, like we got to be up a little bit more on the receivers and Kendricks like, yeah, I might like to, you know, dial up a little bit more pressure um, in, in some of these cases where they didn't really do much blitzing against uh, Jared Goff on Sunday. Um, to you, how does, how does that defensive storyline and that narrative kind of play out in, in this game and then kind of going forward? Yeah, I think it's certainly worth watching because you have heard that in, in various means from two of their more important players. We haven't heard Harrison Smith in part because he had a concussion and uh, wasn't able to play last week. So we didn't hear from him really after the Eagles game and certainly didn't hear from him this week. We'll, we'll see how Sunday goes and you may hear him say some of those things at that point, but I, I think some of it is they are still trying to make adjustments to the way they play some of these coverages. You can, you can play it by the book, but Kevin O'Connell has been the first one to say, 
I want guys in some situations to have a little bit of leeway to play it in a way that they feel comfortable, like they can execute. And that may mean doing what we saw Patrick Peterson do, I think a few times is, is play those zones a little bit tighter and you can make some adjustments saying, I trust myself to be able to get back. That is a different thing though. I think with Patrick Peterson than it is with Cameron Dantzler. It's a different thing with Eric Kendricks, as opposed to, you know, a younger linebacker that may have to step in a guy like Troy Dye or even a guy like DJ Wanham if he is in for a few snaps playing outside linebacker. I think those are different things. So that can't be a blanket solution. I, I do think if you continue to get beat underneath, you're going to have to make some adjustments. Although league-wide, I think uh, Michael Lopez from the league put out some interesting stats this week about how scoring league-wide is down overall. And a lot of this is because this defense has become the thing that everybody runs. It's the Vic Fangio. We're not going to let you beat us over the top. We may give up some stuff underneath, but eventually we're going to hold you to three instead of seven, or you're going to make a mistake somewhere and we're going to get a turnover, or you're going to overshoot somebody. You have to punt on the 40-yard line or whatever it would happen to be. But I don't think anybody is terribly brokenhearted about giving up 280 yards passing if it means you're giving up 23 points and not giving up 34 or something like that. I, the, the, the calculus has changed a little bit here. Everybody understands this has become a, an offensive league, and it, we're not going to hold teams necessarily to 10 points every week, but if we can kind of take these little chunks as opposed to the big over-the-top you know, kind of mortars that people like to throw – uh, we will we will take that trade every time. So you you see a lot of this happening. I think where teams are giving up underneath completions under these soft zones. I mean, certainly we've seen the Packers. I think do a lot of those same things in the first few weeks of the season, and you see a lot of teams take a similar approach. So some of this may just be getting used to watching this style of defense and saying, "Boy, this seems like they're getting nickel and dimed," but they haven't given up more than twenty four points yet. And you know, really, and I think I, I'm trying to remember who said it this week. It might have been Patrick Peterson that uh, if we give up 24, we feel pretty good about our chances to win most of the time. And Mike Zimmer, I think, always used to talk about 17 or, or 21. Uh, it, it's not that, but the offense should also be a little more efficient than Mike Zimmer's offenses quite often were. So this may just be more of the the way that you're going to play it. I still think there's there's adjustments that probably have to happen and they can certainly do things better. They can certainly get more pass rush. I think that's a big part of this too, but there's a little bit more of a trade-off that is kind of just baked into the way this defense plays and certainly what we've seen in the past. Yeah. Well, and to that point, two things there. I mean, one, um, you're right. I think Kevin O'Connell even said it again on Wednesday. He said, make him snap it one more time yep. or make him snap it again. And he's, he's repeated that before. It's like, that's kind of how he sees things. Obviously he doesn't want to give up eight yards here, 10 yards there, just all the way down for touchdowns. But he does see value in the idea of, you know, make him snap it again. They might make a mistake. You might bat a ball down that you don't think you would bat down. And then it's second and 10 instead of second and one, things like that. So there is that element to it. And against the Saints, who have turned the ball over a whole bunch, we probably wouldn't see them necessarily stray from that thought. On the other hand, you talked about pass rush, which I think has been hit or miss, at least yeah. that's a polite way to put it. And Zaria Smith um, injured to a degree in that uh, in that Lions game did not practice Wednesday. Um, don't really know what his status will ultimately be, but you know you take a 
a pass rush that's already a little bit wanting and maybe remove him from the equation or at least 100% um, from the equation. And that's already yeah. going to be testing some, some depth there. Yeah, it is. And that's one of the things that we talked about with this team before the season is this is great if you have Daniil Hunter and Zedaria Smith healthy enough that they both can be on the field wreaking havoc at the same time. But we, we said from the very beginning, injuries were a concern with both of these two. Hunter played, I think, six or seven games last year. Smith played one in the regular season before coming back for the Packers playoff game against the 49ers. So you are counting on these guys to play 80% of your defensive snaps or more and stay healthy through the course of a 17-game season. I mean, that is a lot to ask. So you need more pass rush from Patrick Jones, DJ Wanham, uh, some of your guys up front. I, I think Dalvin Tomlinson has given them more than I would have expected along those lines, but you need a lot of those contributions if you are not going to have 100% perfect health from these two and 100% perfect productivity from these two. So it is a concern, and I think that's one of the things that we thought, well, if this is going to break down somewhere, this could be one of the places that that happens. And, and Smith was fairly effective last week. I think had five pressures, uh, was, was in the backfield a lot, even though they didn't get home. He was, he was there enough to say, hey, he did it part of the job, but you still need more from the group as a whole. And you saw it week one when they got pressure, this can be effective. But if you have quarterbacks that have time to sit back there, decipher the defense and say, I've got places to go underneath the coverage, that tends to be a little bit of a difficult recipe. Yeah, well, it does. And, you know, you can also talk about how that impacts the secondary and you know Harrison Smith was out Sunday with that concussion he's back full participant I would imagine he's good to go but you know we're also talking about a defense where you know Lewis Seen hasn't really got on the field for a whole lot aside from special teams where Andrew Booth their you know other highly drafted um, member of the secondary hasn't been able to stay healthy hasn't gotten on the field yet for them Ed Ingram obviously making a pretty big impact on the offensive line and and that unit being more solidified but if you were looking for you know, kind of the marriage of the pass rush and some help on the back end. It's largely been the holdovers on on the back end that have been asked to do to carry the load. So I guess my question to you is, I mean, Andrew Kramer and I talked a little bit about, you know, Lewis seen and kind of where he is with his progress, but seeing Josh Metellus take all the snaps Sunday yeah. was, was a little bit uh, telling as, as where he's at right now. Yeah, it, it, uh, it certainly did tell us something about where oh, things man. stand. Hard oh. the pun. Made good time getting here, and I've got dad jokes. Yeah, so just in full dad uh, mode here in London. It's um, not the it's not the worst dad joke on the podcast that we could. I, I made a really bad one on uh, on Wednesday, so you're okay. What was it? I haven't listened to it yet. I, well, I had <laughs> I had a uh, Gophers wide receiver Mike Brown Smith. Um, I'm sorry, Mike Brown Stevens on the show. Yeah, and um, he had said something in the group setting about. Um, about being a big fan of lions. And I was like, was he just like spitballing talking? So I, I asked him on the podcast is like, are you, is that really a thing? He's like, Oh yeah, I've got like a lion tattoo. I've got, you know, lion, this lion, that. And I, so I said, so you weren't lion lion. Okay. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're, uh, you're, you're, it's going to be a distance, like getting line if you're trying to, uh, to top that one. Yeah. That's that one's I'm, I have no, Nothing in my repertoire, I think, that's going to get me there, and I certainly have no plans. No, to try no, to, to don't even to try put our just, listeners yeah. through that. Certainly not uh, on we'll, we'll, certainly we'll, not on the narrow amount of sleep you've had, but but I that's it. Content breaking the record for longest uh, 
travel to be on the podcast, and I will be content with a uh, silver or bronze medal. Yeah, you're joke. on that's the fine. you're on the podium, but I mean, yeah, but, but, but but you know, the whole back to the point about Lewis Seen not playing. I mean, that's you know, again, he's a rookie. The development takes you know, if this was Mike Zimmer, you wouldn't expect him to play because he never played his young corners and safeties anyway. But uh, this is a little different. It feels like this is a guy that they were looking at like, hey. He's uh he, he's gonna need to he's gonna need to maybe he's gonna need to maybe help them at, at a certain point this season, especially when you had that that early opportunity and uh you know and Harrison Smith didn't play. Yeah, I mean I, I think you are going to have to see him come in and, and be a contributor at some point. I, I think they're still trying to get him to the point where everything happens where they want it to in real time, where it, it, he can execute assignments understand everything they're trying to do at full speed. I, I think the the impression has been he's been really good in the classroom, but trying to do it in game action at full speed is still a little bit of a challenge. And, and you see that with rookies, and you're certainly going to see that with adapting to a team that's playing a new defense. So th- there is a little bit of a learning curve there. But, yeah, I mean, when you drafted him where you did and, and you make the trade down and you said we're comfortable taking this guy in the teens – it's kind of assumed that he's going to come in and contribute before too long. So the longer they wait, the more it's like, well, we, we are going to have to see the payoff here at some point. And certainly a, a rookie shouldn't be judged really after year one, certainly not after three or four games, but when they made the move, they did, it, it did suggest that they felt like uh, he was going to be contributing in year one. And, and we're probably still a little ways from seeing that. I think. Final thought for you, Ben, you touched on how, you know, the offense probably should be more dynamic as the year goes on. And they put up 28 against the Lions eventually, like it took them a while to get there, but they, they got there and that's enough to win in that game and enough to win most games still in, in the NFL. That's what I bet. I'm, I'm sure they're searching a little bit still for some of that, you know, offensive explosiveness, trying to get Justin Jefferson going. I mean, he's, well, he's got like nine catches for, 60 some yards as long as like 11 over the last two weeks after that explosive start against green Bay. I mean, it it feels like they're still searching a little bit in there, probably an opportunity to run a little bit more uh, against the saints, even if it is Madison and not cook. But as you think about that piece of it, what do you want to see on Sunday? If you're, you know, if you're a Vikings fan or if you're Kevin O'Connell, I think the biggest thing offensively is trying to figure out how to counter the counter to Justin Jefferson, because you knew teams were going to come in and find ways to take him away, especially once they got film of all the different things the Vikings were doing. It was one thing to kind of say that conceptually, and you knew everybody was going to say priority number one is not let 18 beat us. But once you get film of the different things they're trying to do and people say, well, okay, this is the way we can counter now that we've actually seen him play some snaps in this offense, you'd like to see that be adjusted to fairly quickly. I mean, having it happen for two weeks, some of that is Darius Slay played him really well. Uh, he, t- he tends to struggle sometimes with physical matchups with press corners, and we've seen that both the last two weeks, and, and we may see a little bit of that with Lattimore, I suppose, on Sunday, but you want to see them adjust find ways to get him free releases, find ways to get him the ball. I think that has to be the biggest part of it. I mean, Dalvin Cook certainly, I think, will play. I think we'll play with that harness. They got Adam Thielen and K.J. Osborne going, but this is a different thing when Justin Jefferson is going. And there, let's make no doubt about this. Justin Jefferson is the focal point of this offense now. It's not Dalvin Cook anymore. It's certainly not Adam Thielen anymore. It's Justin Jefferson. 
And if that offense is going to reach its peak in this scheme, it is going to be with Jefferson doing the damage. And yes, opening things up for other people, but Jefferson kind of being the guy that is the most dynamic piece they have at their disposal. So I, I think finding ways to get him going, you want to see that happen before too long because you know, you have the Bears after that, and then you're going to go down to Miami and probably get in a game where you may need to put up some serious points to stay in that thing, and uh, you're going to have to have Jefferson at the top of his game, I think, to do that. So you're saying they're having a little bit of a hard time adjusting? Oh, boy. So I, I may not even be on the podium anymore. You're still on I the mean, podium, at least. That, I don't think I, that I was... guess I got bronze, at least. You got well. You got, I think Metellus was better. I I sat on that one for like forty five seconds. Like I had a lot of time to think about that while you were talking. So, yeah, um, maybe they'll get it figured out just in time. Oh yes, there you go. See, that's the that's the counter to the counter that we're Earning. talking about. There, well, that's football application. That's what this. the Vikings have to do. Well, we'll see if they can do it Sunday. I hope you adjust as well to uh, London time, and then they do as well. So it's a entertaining game might be a yeah it might be a fun one we'll, we'll see how they how they get through it but three and one if they could win would feel like a pretty good uh you know quarter close to quarter mark of the season and so um, i'm sure they'll take it however it comes um ben guessing go get some rest wait till it's dark but uh and we'll, we'll follow your coverage uh, all the all the time in the rest next few days yeah it should be should be a fun week i'm uh i'm getting together with our buddy Neil to go watch a, 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 a Premier League soccer match on Saturday night. Nice. So get a little, get a couple different types of football in while we're over here. Should be fun. Nice. I'd love to hear it. Well, we'll talk about that more, I'm sure, at a certain point as well. Thanks, Ben. Yes. Thanks. Great perspectives from Ben, as always. Very quick with the dad jokes, the uh, the one-uppers and things like that, but always great with the Vikings knowledge. And that should be an interesting game on Sunday in London, 8.30 a.m., I think, Minnesota kickoff time. So plenty of time to get on with the rest of your day, win or lose. Like I said at the beginning, want to finish today's show by playing you a portion of a conversation I had with legendary skier Lindsey Vaughn, of course, a Minnesotan, one of us. Her mother, Lindy Crone Lund, passed away Friday, August 26th of ALS. Um, but just more, more to the story than that, I wanted to talk to Lindsey Vaughn about the grieving process, about her mom, who was an accomplished you know, public defender in the state of Minnesota, who you know, had, had a, a much greater impact in her life than just being the mom of Lindsey Vaughn. So I found this conversation with Lindsey to be particularly interesting and hopefully uplifting in, in that way and just wanted to highlight the work that she is doing still to combat ALS. My condolences, obviously, first off, so sorry to hear about your loss. I believe, I think we talked maybe six months ago, and unfortunately, I did not know at that time that your mom had been uh, diagnosed. Uh, I just, I think the first thing I'd like to ask you is how, how are you? And, and, you know, just how, how, what has this process been like? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, it's been a really hard time for me and my family. Um, you know, my mom passed away exactly a year from her original diagnosis. Um, so it happened, you know, unfortunately very quickly and uh, especially the last couple of months and, and yet we hope to have, you know, not just more time, but in my 20 years more time. So, um, you know, we're all kind of processing it in our own way and, um, you know, we, we did everything we could for her and unfortunately ALS is a horrific disease that has no cure and it kind of can't slow down. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we made most of it, you know, 
it and took care of her. And, um, you know, we're thankful she passed away peacefully and, you know, that she's not suffering. So we are thankful for that. I'm sure there's memories, there's there's things that you think about now, especially as, like, like you just said, you, you hoped you had had more time. And I think that some, anytime something like this happens, you obviously think about that. But, you know, as you also think about the time you did have with her, which is, you know, a, you know a, so many great memories, what, what stands out to you about your mom and just your relationship with her and just, you know, the woman that she was? My mom was the strongest woman that I've ever met. Right from the first period, um, you know, she had a stroke when she had me, and um, she lost a lot of physical ability because of that stroke, and she was never able to race with me or, um, you know, run or anything like that. She's had her share of obstacles and adversities in her life, and she's never complained a day in her life. You know, she's always someone that has been... You know, always optimistic and positive and you know I all of my injuries I always looked to her for inspiration I I always thought that you know if you know just through hard work and you know surgery I can come back from my injuries and my mom you know was ne- never able to have that opportunity so um, you know it's up to me to you know respect her and give it everything I had so I, I always looked to her for inspiration you know and with her ALS, you know, she approached every day and said, every day is a great day, you know, and every day she would raise her arms up in the air and, and have a positive smile on her face, even though, you know, the disease was taking her, her independence away, her strength away, her voice away, and, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm the strongest person I've ever met. For yourself, you know, obviously you have siblings, you have people you can lean on, but, you know, as, as someone who lives and has lived such a a public life and continues to do so even though you aren't com- skiing competitively anymore. Do you do you feel like you get the space to process your grief? Or I, I was just, just kind of curious about how, how that works when you are in such a public space all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone is really respectful. And, you know, my mom, when we found out about her ALS, she really was ready to talk about it and we kept it, you know, with the pain. You know, our family um, for a long time, but in the end, you know, she wanted to help others, and that's really the only reason why we, we end up talking publicly about it. Um, but I feel that, you know, it brought me to a lot of people that Cody Miller's father in law, um, Morgan's father, that actually has ALS. Okay. You know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, treatments and, you know, what to look for and, you know, how to each other and um, you know unfortunately uh, another racer that I know Abby Jen her father Brad just passed away from ALS um, just a few weeks ago uh, and I you know again I see Abby and my her uh, her mother was actually my coach so it's definitely brought me you know closer to other people and I don't I don't feel like you know I haven't had room to breathe I feel like you know, um, I've gotten a lot of support from a lot of people, and um, I appreciate all that support. My family appreciates that support. And, um, you know, I think ultimately my mother wanted you know, to bring more awareness to the disease, and I think, you know, because of the position I'm in, I'm able to do that, and I think, you know, my mother was very thankful for that, actually. 
Lindsay, thank you so much again. And uh, again, so sorry, but again, so, you know, so glad that you have been able to share some of this with us and uh, you, you take care and, and, and be well. Okay. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Take care of yourself. You can read a full obituary for Lindsay Vaughn's mom, Lindy Crone Lund. Uh, that was in last Sunday's Star Tribune, still online. A, uh, a celebration of life service being held today in Edina at Christ Presbyterian Church at 3 p.m. Um, just a you know, a life well lived, a, a great story, and I'm, I'm really appreciative of of Lindsay Vaughn taking the time to talk to me a little bit more about you know her life, her mom's life, and what her mom meant to her. That will do it for today. That will do it for this week. Should have plenty to talk about next week as well. Full recap of Vikings versus Saints in London. Gophers versus Purdue. Lots going on over the weekend and in the next week. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We'll be back at it again on Monday.